Welcome to American Patchwork and Quilting Radio, your one stop for creative inspiration. We have a terrific hour of ideas and tips for you today, so let's get to it. Here's your host, Pat Sloan. Welcome to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan. You know, sometimes I find people to talk to for the show when I'm out doing some research and all of a sudden I see something and I go down that trail and I end up at this fabulous website. And that's what happened when I found Aaron Davis's site called Sew at Home Mummy. And I just loved, um, you know, what she's doing there. I actually got there looking at mid-century modern things. And so, Erin, uh, you know, this is, is this how everybody meets you? They come in at different angles? Yeah, it's not uncommon. <laughs> not uncommon, yeah. Um, my blog is kind of a mishmash of, of things, uh, definitely. Um I have the crafty, quilty, and DIY with a little bit of MCM going on. So, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, because, so you find... because you always oh, have, like, you have a lot of different things that you, you share. So it's a little bit more lifestyle in a way. And um, I love yeah. that. Yeah, and I started out quilting uh, with my primary um, focus of the blog. And uh, when we bought our house, it kind of shifted gears. I'm still about 60% quilting. And now mm-hmm. um, with uh, the the house, I've kind of out of necessity uh, because we're single income and I kind of have to be able to fix things on my own mm-hmm. <laughs> when hubby's at work. Um, uh, I It's kind of gone in the DIY sort of realm. Yeah, so I'm having fun with it. Yeah, and it's re- you do really neat stuff. You have great detail on your site. Um, you know, you you told me that you started uh, quilting when you not only did, were you going to have a baby, but you moved from uh, one city to the other, and those cities were in different countries. Um, you know, what? <laughs> not nothing like like all change at once, right, Erin? Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go so, go home. <laughs> that's right. So when you made that first, you know, when you made a quilt for your baby, you you um you'd quilted before, but did that like start you on a new journey? It did. I mean, when I made the quilts before, they were really sporadic and they were for friends' babies um back home. And then when I moved here, I I wasn't able to work because of the type of visa that I was on because we were coming from uh, Vancouver uh, to Chicago and um, uh, yeah I was at home and my husband was at work and I was I had nothing to do I was pregnant and sitting there twiddling my thumbs and I was a very busy person at home in Vancouver I didn't have one full-time job I worked the equivalent of two full-time jobs yeah and going from 80 hours a week to full stop was pretty difficult so I needed something to do so I started quilting and then I started blogging because everybody else seemed to be doing it so uh, then through the online community I ended up uh, finding uh, the Chicago Modern Quilt Guild and I met some really great friends through that and I'm still a member there and yeah it's been it's been great 
Yeah, it's, how, it's funny how everything just sort of rolls one right into the other sometimes. And you look back and you go, you can really see it. But at the time, it doesn't feel like that, does it? It's just sort of you're just doing no. your thing. Yeah. So Yeah, it's, yeah sorry. It's tough when, you, when you're in it and you, and you first move, especially moving to a different city, a different country, doesn't matter. So, you know, if, if you're in that position, if you're out there and you're listening and you're in that position, mm-hmm. try and get out to a, a group or a meeting with like-minded people. And um, it, it can really do wonders if, if you're trying to make friends, you know, if you're a quilter or a crafter or a knitter, you know, find a Facebook group that meets and, and, uh, and get out there because you'll find somebody. Yeah, I mean, that it's excellent advice. It really, really is because people just feel like, oh, I'm so by myself when you really aren't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm, I thought we could, um, you know, we always, we never have like a lot of time. So I thought we might be fun to talk a little bit about developing a style because you're doing not only quilting, but you're also doing your DIY. And I found you via the mid-century modern kind of thing that you were doing. Um, you know, what, what do you tell people who are sort of struggling with finding a look that they like? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I guess go with what inspires you um, and go with what you love. Um, for me, it's, it's really, it's my house. I love my house. I love my neighborhood. <laughs> it, and it sounds funny, but I do. I, you know, we worked really hard to, to save up for our house and, and we found the perfect house in it. It's such a cool little house with great lines and good features, and and it's really inspired me to take that mid-century um, vibe and run with it, and and you know with color palettes and textures and kind of cross over into my quilts with um, using different materials, even like um, moving away from traditional cottons, like using Osnabergs and um, which is if nobody, if someone hasn't used that before, it's it's a it's an underlay uh, that you use under upholsteries, mm. um, and it's kind of an oatmeal color, and it's got a nice texture to it. It's it's really nice to work with. Um, things like peppered cottons instead of solids. Um, I've even used upholstery fabrics like that you would use to cover couches, uh, in quilts just to get that visual um, uh, interest that someone wants to reach out and touch that quilt. That's what I want. And it's not easy to work with wools and velvet <laughs> and that heavy, heavy stuff, but it's so cool when you do. So yeah, it, step I, outside your box. I, I'm I with you. Thinking. I love the textures. I wish it more quilters would explore those. Um, even, you know, the Osnaberg is, is very forgiving to work with if you're just sort of branching yeah. out, you know, it's not difficult. It feels like a little bit rougher muslin maybe. So, right. um, yeah, so that's, that's a really, yeah. so do you find because of your home that your actual, is it your quilt designs, your quilt, the color palettes, what are you bringing into your quilts from that home that you have now? I think everything, the, the palettes, the designs, even the way I top stitch uh, is more simple. 
straight line, even that kind of uh, that uh, diagonal crosshatch look that mm-hmm. when I when I quilt it, um, that kind of thing. Uh, it's I I don't I just try and go more retro with the feel. The fabrics that I pull, even um, the the uh, prints that I I buy when I do buy prints. Mm-hmm. Uh, like designers like Jenski have great that great retro vibe now that you can get, and you have that one focal print that you can go off of, and and she's got a great sense of color that you can use um, as inspiration. Neat. Yeah, it's 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 fun. It's fun. It's fun. You know, we talked earlier, you know, um, by email, and I had asked you about thread because uh, you're working with, you know, speaking of texture and and something a little different, you're Mm -hmm. using some 12-weight threads. Tell me um, how you're using them. Oh, I love using 12-weight. So I don't use it very often. I use it sparingly, and it has to be the right project, but I just actually use it in I, I just finished the quilt um and so what I do is uh I use it in my uh I use 12 weight or so mm-hmm. in on my top spool I know a lot of people will use a heavier weight in the bobbin but I don't like messing around with my bobbin tension so yeah so I always I, I top spool it um and I uh will um set my tension to zero and then uh, you use a walking foot, uh, and the key here is a large eye needle in your machine. Right. So uh, an embroidery, a top stitch, or a metallic needle, uh, like a size 14. Mm-hmm. And um, and then you want to go nice and slow. Uh, use a 50 or a 60 weight in the bobbin, and... Um, you can either use a walking foot or uh, if you have one, an open toe embroidery foot. But, okay. Um, but a walking foot works fine mm-hmm. uh, if you don't. And, uh, yeah, just um, take it easy. You don't stitch quickly with it. Mm-hmm. And my preferred thread is Ortho or um, uh, I have used uh, Sulky. Both of the yeah, twelve weights are the thicker thread. They're what a lot of people use for hand embroidery, and that's why, yeah. So Heron is that's why you have to have that big eye needle because first of all, it won't even thread through your regular needle, and um, and you because it's cotton, you don't want it um the tension frame, which is why you say to go slower, right? That's right. That's right. And you can use if you have uh fancier stitches on your machine, like your uh, blanket stitch that kind of thing, you can try playing with that. It's great if you're um, appliquing or reverse appliquing and you want to finish your edges with that. Mm-hmm. I've done um, the fronts of notebook covers with, with oh. uh, the heavier weight thread. Oh, it looks gorgeous. Um, uh, the quilts I just finished, uh, I just did a, a long, I set my stitch length nice and long uh and did um just a straight stitch in the borders and sashes okay uh, and around the blocks mm-hmm. and again looked fantastic it looked like i hand stitched it but with 
uh, a quarter of the work because I've got two little kids and I don't have the time. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You have to make everything work for you when you have small people at home. Um, Heather, I mean, Heather, Aaron, Aaron, this has been so much fun and it goes so fast that we are, we are out of time. I want to have everybody visit you at so at home, mummy, M U M M Y.com. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Pat, for having me on. This is American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show brought to you by Moda Fabrics. Uh, We are going to take a break, and then in a few minutes, we will be right back. uh, And we're going to talk about buttons. Choose from more than 100 of your favorite patterns from American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilts and More, and Quilt Sampler, all available online. Buy downloadable patterns today at apqshop.com. Join the One Million Pillowcase Challenge in March for the Ultimate Pillowcase Competition. Gather a team and compete in one of two categories during the month of March to make pillowcases, earn points, and maybe be crowned the Ultimate Pillowcase Champion. The top three teams in each category will be awarded cash prizes. Even if you're not forming a team, you can watch all the action with weekly voting and daily prizes. Visit allpeoplequilt.com backslash pillowcase madness for more information. Quilt along with us in 2017. Join our fourth annual quilt along by stitching a wall hanging, a throw, or a one block table topper, or all three projects. Visit allpeoplequilt.com backslash quiltalong for a list of participating bloggers and designers and to see photos of what staff members and other readers are sewing. Share your photos on social media by using the hashtag APQQuiltalong to join the fun. Follow American Patrick and Quilting on Pinterest. To find ideas for bags, baby projects, pillowcases, storage and organization, and more, visit Pinterest.com backslash APQ Magazine to join the fun. Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan. In uh, the industry, the quilting industry, the sewing industry, uh, there are a lot of very successful family businesses. And I find it quite fun to have uh, somebody on who is the um, the brains and the creator behind the company Just Another Button Company, which is Cecile McPeak. Uh, we're going to talk about how her buttons are made. So, Cecile, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for inviting me. Now, your family business with your daughter, is there any anybody else in the business? Well, besides my daughter and myself, we have her two little girls that are affectionately known as the two little Miss Buttons. But the rest <laughs> of the people who work here and create buttons, we call them the Buttoneers. They're part of our extended family. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I love that. You guys are creative, not just in your company, but in all your, your adorable names. Um we try to have fun. Yeah. When did you when did you create your company? Well, it was kind of an accident. Um, I have always worked from home when my kids were little. Their dad worked out of town a lot. So I had three kids, and we did a bunch of stuff together to keep busy and have fun together. And um, 
I would sew and, you know, they would play beside me. But one day we got involved with polymer clay and we were making refrigerator magnets and mm-hmm. um, striped snakes and, you know, just goofy kid stuff. And um, I found a chapter in the book about making buttons and it went right along with the, the wearable art that was so popular at that time. That was, what, early 90s, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you just started um, fashioning buttons. Were you intending to just for yourself, or did you think of it as a business? Oh, no, no. <laughs> I've always done crafts as a business. Even when I was a teenager, I did. So, I, But it didn't occur to me at the beginning that it was a business. It was mm-hmm. more um, I was doing embroidery, and I thought, wouldn't this be a cool way to make ladybug buttons and bee buttons to, to sew onto my embroidery? Because I've always liked the dimensional look, you know, mm-hmm. embellishment. That That's always been a thing for me. But when you do the polymer clay caning, we call it, where you slice the buttons off, you can't mm-hmm. just make six ladybugs. You end up with <laughs> 200. And it wasn't very long before I was overrun with buttons. So the business came, like I said, by accident. Mm-hmm. When you decided to sort of launch it out there, how many different designs did you have? Well, let's see. I just came across our very first trade show presentation board, and it, I think it probably had about 75 different pieces on it. And of those, probably 10 of them were stars and hearts. So pretty small number, and that's mm-hmm. grown to over 1,500 pieces now. Holy cow. Um, right. So <laughs> what I want you to do is explain um, explain to me how these are made because you're, you're – tagline your business concept is, is that these are uh small craft uh buttons that they're they're made they're made by hand right we call them small batch buttons because mm. everything is made in small batches as opposed to manufacturing where you get a whole bunch all at once we mm-hmm. make a batch at a time in response to an order or maybe to restock something that we keep sitting on the shelf but we like the words small batch because it gets across the the emotion that goes along with handmade. Mm-hmm. And the um, the substance they're made of. Tell me a little bit about that. Okay. Polymer clay is uh, an uncured plastic, and it's available in craft stores. Anybody can buy it and play with it. And it's really good for kids because as opposed to regular clay where you have to bake at very high temperatures, Polymer clay cures when you just bake it in a toaster oven. In fact, our main tools are toaster ovens and food processors. We're pretty <laughs> low-tech here. That in our fingers, that's all we use. So the polymer clay, then, once you bake it in the toaster oven, is a permanent plastic, which means the button is really durable. If you drop it, it won't break. Mm-hmm. And you have a video uh, out on your website, Just Another Button Company, that shows people, you know, where you're actually making them. Um, and I'm linking that on my page, but they can go to your company page too, your company site. That, that's really cool. Um, obviously, you're not, you and, and Rachel, your daughter, are not making all these buttons yourself. Um, so tell me how you, your, your extended family works that works okay. for you. Okay, so most of the most of the buttoneers are button makers, but we do we mm-hmm. have a few people who work here in the office, and they're the people that answer the phones and fill the orders and so forth. They're mm-hmm. really important to our business. But the people who are actually making the buttons work in their own homes, and uh, several of them uh, started working for us because they had young children at home, just like I did. Mm-hmm. I was working at home, and they wanted to work at home. 
but they were happy to have a job. So we we do um, piece rate where we give them an assignment, we give them the clay, we tell them what we want them to make, and then they actually make the buttons at home. And they got to stay home with their kids that way. So, you yeah. know, still have family life. And um, it's it must be a pretty good job because we just had somebody celebrate her 20th anniversary with us. Wow. And now, instead of staying home and making buttons with her kids home, mm-hmm. she watches her grandchildren while she makes buttons. Yeah, that is just, it's just awesome. That is so cool. Um, you know, you, you're doing, you know, are they mailing these things back to you? Are they local people? I'm just kind of curious. Oh, no, these are, these are ladies I met through uh, the parent-teacher organization at school, mostly. <laughs> at least that's how we started. They're, mm-hmm. they're all local people. Um, we have tried with a few people from out of town to make it work, but because they come in to pick up their supplies mm. and get their assignments and we work on pretty short um time deadlines like mm-hmm. someone will call and say i need a thousand ladybugs by next week so there's no <laughs> time there you know to have them mailed back from detroit or, or yeah. wherever so yeah. we, it's good to have local people they can run in they can get their supplies they can run home and and make them you know to order we we make mm-hmm. them to order basically so when did your daughter Rachel join the company, and what does what does she do? Well, um, like me, she's a jack of all trades. Um, you know, when you own a small business, you just do what needs to be done. But mm-hmm. she had she um, was finished with college and trying to decide what she was going to do next, and she started packing kits for us uh, part time. She was we we were big into pin cushions at that time. We had pattern after pattern for wool pin cushions and she was packing the kits for us and then she learned how to hand sew in order to make the models for the shops that Mm. wanted pin cushions in order to sell the patterns (laughs) and she liked the hand sewing so within a year then she had designed her first pin cushion and then she learned how to write a pattern and -hmm. then she learned how to do the photography and then you know (laughs) she just has a natural affinity for color and design and so Right now, um, she's doing the social media, she's doing designing, um, she chooses all our colors, and she's also doing all of the dyeing for our new hand-dyed button line. Cool. That is so, that is just neat. Um, Did you think she would take to it like that? Well, I haven't seen her fail at anything that she tried, (laughs) but at the beginning, when she was in school, she thought she was going to sing opera. So oh. I kind of figured that she wasn't going to follow in my footsteps, but that's okay. I have two grown sons too. And they're all three of the kids are very creative and they get a lot of satisfaction out of making something with their mm-hmm. hands. They, they understand hard work and that was okay. You know, that she wanted to go and do something different. So no, I didn't see this coming, but I'm really happy about it. Now, I um, had asked you if there was um, some some little way or tip to keep a button on there before you get to sew it. Because you know how it is, uh, Cecile, when we lay them out on the project and then we're like, okay, I got, I've laid them all out and i got to pick the whole thing up, but I've got them perfectly positioned. You have a great right. tip for what to do. Right. Well, I used, to, I used to say, don't tell anybody this, but I've told so many people that the secret is out. I don't like to sew buttons on things. And that's exactly the reason why, because I don't want to put my buttons on there until they're all perfectly arranged. You can't just sew one on and then add one later, because then you go back and take the first one back off again. Mm-hmm. So I arrange all my buttons, and I hold each one down with a short piece of clear tape, like scotch tape. 
because ah. you can see the button underneath it. It stays exactly where you want it. You can cover a whole quilt with buttons that way. But then you go back and you sew the buttons on right through the tape. And when you're all finished, then peel the tape off. If you peel a little bit from both ends, when it comes up from the top, it actually splits the tape underneath the threads and the button is sewn on and the tape is gone and everything's perfectly positioned. That's so great. I love it. <laughs> I just well, love I have it. To give my friend, I have to give my friend Terry yeah. credit for that because she's the one who figured it out. But I, she was happy for me to share it. That you know, this is this is like life changing for adding no buttons. Kidding. <laughs> yeah, you do have to have tape though that'll stick to fabric because I have some washi tapes that uh, don't really stick on the fabric. No, it's that not way. sticky enough. And here's another um, a little caveat on that too: don't leave your tape on there for several days because then a little bit of the sticky will stay on the fabric. So just tape them on when you're ready to start sewing. I've left it on there for I don't know two days and not had any problems though. So. Yeah. Yeah. Now we have about um, about a minute and a half, but you have a cute little story about how a whole collection started when Joan Hawley uh, called you from Lazy Girl oh, Designs. Right, right. So um, you had asked me once about a community, and I was telling you how we feel like we're part of a community because, um, you know, there's the shop owners who sell our things and the stitchers who end up sewing the buttons on, but the designers are also part of our community, and Joan Hawley is the designer for Lazy Girl. And she knew that we had just bought the Hill Creek Designs business, the hand-dyed business, and she called one day last summer, and she said she just wanted to share with us something that she was experiencing. She was in the middle of designing a group of new patterns, and when she designs, she likes to have her fabric spread out in front of her and her zippers and her buttons, and she likes to play with the colors. And then, you know, she'll choose something from here and something from there. But she said what she can't find anywhere is the same button available in the same size, the same style, but in a wide range of colors. She said that's just missing from the market. And it's not just the small stores, the independent stores, but even the chain stores don't have that where you can find the same button available in every color. And she asked us if we were intrigued by that idea. And from that came our whole um, button-up product line. It, it's 35 colors of buttons all available in the same size. And so you know that there's the perfect button for every project. Cecile, this is wonderful. Thank you for coming on and sharing. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. It was nice to talk to you. We'll be right back. Boost your sewing skills from start to finish with daily tips from the editors of American Patchwork and Quilting. Visit tips.allpeoplequilt.com for inspiration. This quilting tip brought to you by Moda Fabrics. Visit modafabrics.com or your local quilt shop to see the latest fabric collections. Three ring binders are the perfect storage method for fabric panels. Simply fold each panel into a page protector and insert into the binder. They're easy to view and keep the panels easily accessible. Get two full years of American Patchwork and Quilting delivered right to your door for the price of one. That's a full year free. Every issue is packed with never-before-seen projects from top designers, detailed photography, complete materials lists, and easy-to-use pull-out patterns and quilting diagrams. Subscribe today at allpeoplequilt.com.
Take an ultimate shop-hop tour of 11 top quilt shops. You'll find them all in the current issue of Quilt Sampler. Available now at your local quilt shop or on newsstands. Welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan. And this year, I'm introducing you to other people who do podcasts that have quilting or sewing creativity in them uh, that you might enjoy. And Sandy Hazelwood of the Crafty Planner has a great um, show that she runs. And so I'm happy you're here, Sandy. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Pat. You know, you told me that your your mom quilts, and that she is actually an artist. Um, did you did you do anything quilting, sewing when you were younger? No, actually, I was more of a knitter and a scrapbooker. Um, but I was surrounded by my mom, who is a wearable artist, and has had garments in the Fairfield Fashion Show, now mm-hmm. known as the Bernina Fashion Show, and um, who also took classes with just quilting legends, you know, like Roberta Horton, um, Freddie Moran. And so I was sort of, I don't know, vicariously, I absorbed everything that they were teaching her and also just her outlook on quilting being more than, you know, just a a blanket per se, Mm -hmm. but also something that's three-dimensional. And she integrated things like African mud cloth and shibori. And so it really gave me the opportunity to see a variety of different textures in quilts. What is your mom's name? Sharon Sawa. Okay, so everybody have to go check out Sandy's mom. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, when you started quilting, did you right away start um, finding out about sort of the people behind the scene? Because that's pretty much where your show is, you know, kind of deep diving. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I would say so. I'm a naturally curious person. And so when I got involved in modern quilting, Flickr was all of the rage at that point. Mm. And so I would follow people on Flickr. Um, But I also started learning more about the modern quilt movement through the Modern Quilt Guild. And so they had a thread on one of their forums about getting to know everybody. And so I would devotedly sort of look through that thread to find both local people, but also just what other people were doing. Um, but yeah, I'm just a naturally curious person who likes to dig into things that interest me. So why is your site called the Crafty Planner? How did that, how did that wording come up? <laughs> um, so I have a master's degree in city planning. And so whenever I've had an online moniker throughout time, it's always been something related to planning. And so initially I was Miss Planner. And then when I decided (laughs) that I wanted to, uh, A, get married, I could no longer be a Miss. Um, And also nobody really understood what that meant. So I became the Crafty Planner. Yeah. Yeah. Miss Planner. That would be, yeah. You, so it doesn't give you a niche at all. It could be anything. <laughs> correct. Correct. Often people think I'm a paper planner. So. Ah, well, um, Sandy, what made you decide to look into interviewing people and recording it and telling their, mm-hmm. and telling a story? How, why did you do that? Yeah, it started with a challenge that I had to create a bag. I really wanted to learn three-dimensional bag making. Mm -hmm. And so I reached out to someone who inspires me today and then, Sarah Lawson of So Sweetness. And I said, hey, do you want to be on my blog? You know, do you want to guest post or do you want to record a podcast? And she said, I want to record a podcast. 
I remember looking at my husband and saying, oh, I guess I'd better figure out how that whole podcasting thing works now. Um, but I'd been listening to a lot of them at the time, including this one, and said, well, it's something that sounds fun and, and interests me, so let's try it out. And initially I thought, well, I would just do a couple and, you know, to see where it went, but I became addicted pretty quickly. And after I came back from QuiltCon, the last one in Austin, and I really saw that there was quite a diversity within the modern quilt movement that I really wasn't seeing somewhere else, I decided that I would launch a diversity series. And so the podcast, which comes out almost every week on Mondays, um, was just my way to sort of deal with the curiosity that I naturally have. And it allows me the opportunity to share the stories about people within our industry. Um, I think so many people think there's only one way that you can be an artist or be involved. And I love hearing from different people about how they became involved in the industry, why they stay in, the struggles that they have, but why they also love it. Um, so you can have somebody like Alex Anderson, whose episode published this morning, who comes straight out of college and has just become a legend ever since then, to somebody like Carolyn Friedlander, who goes to school for architecture, falls in love with textiles, and then integrates both into what she does. And so I love hearing how everybody's perspective is different, yet we're all sort of in this together at the same time. Now, your your show format um, is a little different than mine. You tend to have mm -hmm. one person on for... Uh, mm -hmm. for the entire show, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. And and when you're doing that, just, just tell me a little bit about, um, you know, are you doing a lot of backstory? You're doing a lot of current mm -hmm. stuff? You know, what? how do you decide? Because you're talking to them for, what, 40 minutes or so. Um, mm -hmm. How do you decide what to focus on? Yeah, so my, the one question that stays consistent for all of my guests is tell me about your creative journey. And there, I really encourage my guests to talk about, you know, we're same things kind of we're talking about, like, were mm -hmm. you creative as a child? Did you sew as a child? And then I sort of take them through to today. Um, and the way that I do it is different for every guest. Um, between, you know, just initially emailing somebody to learning everything I can about them. I listen to every podcast they've ever been on. I read every interview I can find with them every person kind of gives me their own story that I want to help them present on the podcast. So it just depends on the person and what's mm -hmm. going on and why I've been interested in them to begin with. Mm -hmm. So, so you've done over a hundred now. That's amazing. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> Thank you. And, Thank and you, you still like it. <laughs> I, love, I love it. Yeah. I really love it. Yeah. It's a lot it's of work that, it is, you know, this too, it is definitely yes. a lot of work, it's a lot of work. Um, yeah. But I think when you love it, it's hard to not do it. You know, uh, people have said to me, do I think that I'll run out of guests? And I can't ever imagine <laughs> running out of guests no. or topics or ideas. No, there's always going to be somebody that I want to learn a little bit more about whose story that I want to share. Yeah. I think, I think I have, um, what, six years and, three, four guests a time. So no, you won't run out of guests. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Not there's anytime a, soon. No, there's always somebody, always somebody new. Do you have, um, just short, like, is there one, one show that really sticks out in your mind when you did it and out, you know, that you, you come back to it and you think, you know, wow, whether it was inspirational or you learned something or it's mm -hmm. just funny, just give me one. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is Karen McCavish. Um, when Karen was on the show, number one, she asked me to be on the show, and I normally don't accept pitches, but I wanted Karen. 
Um, and so when she asked me, I was flattered. So that's one thing that I remember. And then also just her honesty about her process. Um, she's an amazing long arm quilter. And yet I feel like there's so much that isn't known about her. She was really open. Uh, she shared tips. And I felt like we were just having this conversation and a coffee shop and she was my new best friend <laughs> and people who've come back to me and talked to me about it have said the same thing that they really felt like they got a good feeling about who Karen was as, and is as an artist, why it's important to her, her family life. And I think anytime somebody comes back from an episode and feels that way, I feel like I've done a good job of representing their art and their passion. So as a maker yourself, because besides mm -hmm. making, I consider making our, these shows like we do as one of the things that we make, yeah. um, but you also Definitely. make physical things. Um, so what, yeah. what are you <laughs> sewing right now? Like, you know, make it a quilt, a tote bag, some clothing. <laughs> I wish I could say I'm only working on one thing, but um, in front of me, I actually have um, the low box top. Um, because we're in the middle of me made May, um, I've been really focused on what clothing I can wear that fits the needs that I have in my closet. And so I have a top. And I also have some a project that I've been working on for a long time in my head, but it's finally coming out, which is a glam clam quilt made out of treasured Tula Pink Neptune um, fabric that I'm making for my father. Um, so I'm really incapable of doing one thing at a time, really. I think I always have a little bit of something going on. And because I like to sew a variety of different types of projects, that also sort of keeps my curiosity happy. <laughs> I can make a garment, I can make a quilt, and yet I don't feel like I'm getting stuck at all. I just work on both of them. All right. And that, you know, most people work like this who you know it's mm -hmm. uh one thing at a time I just can't even imagine I know I know someone who does that but it's not mm -hmm. me uh so when you're working are you <laughs> are you tidy are you messy since you got all this stuff going on oh I'm tidy um I get a little bit crazy if everything is everywhere um I'll, I'll have a stack you know like here's my stack of a pattern and the fabric but it can't be everywhere like <laughs> I just I don't work well in that environment do you think that comes from what you did as your your first career you know with this the city mm -hmm. planning mm -hmm. um I wish I could say that but I know a lot of my city planner <laughs> friends are pretty <laughs> unorganized I think it's more my personality type I'm pretty organized and analytical and logical and so if things are everywhere, I go a little bit crazy. Um, but yeah, no, I, I wish we'd say much my planning side, but I don't think so. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so out at the American Patchwork um, and Quilting website, you know, what is your favorite category mm -hmm. out there? I really love the One Million Pillowcase Challenge. Um, it's something actually that I came across very early when I was sewing. I saw advertisements for it. Making a pillowcase is one of the first things I made. And so I think because the fact that it's a quick sew for somebody who may not know how to sew, but also just a quick, you know, palette cleanser for those of us who do know how to sew, but also it encourages us to use our skills and then contribute them to the larger community. I really love all aspects of that project. I know I can't wait for the day that that 
they're at a million. I don't know what the number is right now, but a million yeah. is just such a massive number. And there are people who make yeah. them that don't ever record them. So I, you know, we all know there's True. more made than, you know, it's probably like gone way over a million, you know, like years ago or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's like definitely, okay. definitely. So I have a question I didn't tell you I was going to ask you, but I, I'm going to ask you anyways because it's easy. All right. <laughs> do you have a do you have a person that you're thinking like you know like maybe they're not even in the industry do you have a person that you're thinking I would just love to interview that person um she's in the industry and I would love to interview Freddie Moran um Freddie I, I like I said she's somebody who and has inspired my mom I grew up sort of with just this admiration for her mm-hmm. um so she's the first one that comes to mind, but there are quite a few actually <laughs> that I have a tickler list of people that I hope one day that I will get to interview, but she's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah. Isn't that fun? I mean, you, you, cause there really is when you're only, especially if you're only doing one a week, it takes mm-hmm. a while to go through that, that list. Oh, Tell yeah. me. You know, you can't just do them mm-hmm. all at once. And mine are shorter segments, so I can, you know, pull in a lot more people. It's more like a talk show kind of thing, like, you know, mm-hmm. what's going on now, get to know you. Tell me what's at your website. We have about a minute left. Sure. It's craftyplanner.com. And you can subscribe to the podcast, hopefully the same way that you subscribe to this one. So either on iTunes or Stitcher or on your podcast catcher. And then also I leave my show notes and there's a player on my website, craftyplanner.com. If you'd like to listen through the website. Yeah. And do you write anything else there besides just talking about the shows? Yeah. I write about any projects that I'm working on. I also have a series called make a difference where I interview different projects like the social justice sewing Academy which is an amazing project that helps kids work through social justice issues um, or do good stitches, which is another project that I just wrote about on the blog. So it's anything that might interest me, anything that I've worked on or ways that we as a community can support each other. And do you do a newsletter too? I do do a newsletter and you can sign up also on my website and that's every other week. And I usually include things that I'm interested in or have seen Um, Since the last newsletter, maybe a new tutorial that something to explore. And I always include the latest recipe that I have tried because I love to bake and (laughs) cook. (laughs) Okay. So now we all are going to have new recipes from Sandy. Uh, Yes. And in all of your 339 episodes, who is your favorite interview? Oh, my goodness. Probably the astronaut, Karen Nyberg. Mm. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, Sandy, for being here. Thank you. Looking for fresh, simple, and fun projects and ideas? Check out the current issue of Quilts and More magazine at your local quilt shop or on newsstands. Join American Patchwork and Quilting on Facebook for daily quilting inspiration, tips, giveaways, and more. Find us at facebook.com backslash APQ magazine. This quilting tip brought to you by Moda Fabrics. Visit modafabrics.com or your local quilt shop to see the latest fabric collections. An empty toilet paper roll makes it easy to store prepared binding. When you're ready to use, simply slip the roll onto the cone thread holder on your sewing machine to unroll your binding easily. See what other quilters are up to on the American Patchwork and Quilting page on Facebook. Simply go to Facebook.com and search for APQ Magazine. 
welcome back to American Patchwork and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan, and I'm excited to have Roseanne Kermis of Rosebud's Cottage back. And you know when Roseanne comes on, we always go deep into a topic. And so today we have two topics. One is taking care of our cutting tools. Roseanne, Roseanne, you have great tips. Thanks for being here. <laughs> I'm happy to be here, Pat. And I'll tell you, the only reason this came about is because I messed up on my favorite uh, scissors when I was, uh, I, yeah, I, you know, I am in a habit of whatever scissors are nearby is what I cut with. Mm-hmm. And I cut some really, this really super sticky double-sided tape uh, with my applique scissors uh, that I love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then everything stuck to it. So Ugh. that's, that's why this came about because I don't want, the, I don't want this to happen to other people. So. Um, so how do I, we get I, that I, off? Um, well, I, there's a couple of things you can do. Um, I have, I had like uh, those, uh, not baby wipes, what do they call like those, you know, those, those alcohol wipes. Right. Um, I had some of those and, and that worked. Um, I know in the past I've used just straight alcohol to, to get the adhesive off. Um, but then I had another uh, product called easy tool cleaner and, they sell this in the scrapbook stores. You spray it on your blades, wait for a couple mm-hmm. minutes, and it actually turns purple where the adhesive is, and then you just wipe it off. Um, but because, you know, scrapbookers, you know, they're always cutting tape and that kind of stuff. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, don't do that. Put, I have other scissors that I cut that stuff with, and I just didn't yeah. even think to reach for them. Because uh, um, yeah, yeah, I yeah. actually have, yeah, I have, one, I have one set that's um, uh, Teflon scissors, and they're uh-huh. made for sticky stuff so yeah my, my great old uh, five inch applications is that I love <laughs> just like, God. I, did, uh, I, I just got Teflon scissors so now I know you know I know to use one and they're black hand black blades on my Teflon yes yeah yep they have that little bit uh, like almost like a pewter deep or charcoal kind of color and stuff yeah it's like um, charcoal I, yeah I didn't have any glue gone glue gone is that what it's called oh. Yeah. Um, um but I'm I'm sure that would work too to get that sticky stuff off your yeah. off your uh scissors and stuff. But so don't do that. Don't do that. The other thing that we use all the time is our rotary cutters and you do a lot of wool and so mm-hmm. I imagine that you have to clean that often. Well, I am looking at my blade right now. I have um one of those six sixty millimeter uh ones and I've been cutting just a ton of wool and you know, uh, the one I have has uh, blades where you pull down left or right, and mm-hmm. way down at the bottom where the blade retracts, I can see there's um, just chunks of fiber in there. The best way to do this, to clean that, is uh, when you see that, is just take the blade, take the cutter apart and just wipe mm-hmm. everything off. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because, first off, uh, my blade now doesn't close tightly, and I don't yeah. want yeah. to actually cut myself, you know. Um, but then even around the screw part, there's a lot of fibers there too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's pretty grody. I better, better take <laughs> care of this. <laughs> I did mine recently where I actually really looked at it, and there's some in little embedded places. So I got a pin and just mm-hmm. dug out like compact. It's almost like what you'd find in your sewing machine, like between the teeth. Yeah. You know, this it got like all compacted and, and and there's a little bit of oil always and it's like, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. So yeah, a pin. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's and that's what it looks like. It looks like sewing machine fuzz. Yeah. I suppose it's probably the same composition and stuff. But you no, know, it's those it's those little things. You want those 
tools to, you know, to work properly. And I, I know that probably the blade wears a little bit more because I have all that stuff down at the, mm-hmm. at the base there that, you know, the blade is turning against it. So I think it's a good, good habit to get into the cleaner regularly just to, uh, strength, you know, lengthen the, the, uh, longevity of the blade and stuff. So, Okay, the, the next oh. one that, that we're going to talk about is the worst. It is the one that makes me personally nuts. <laughs> is when I've cut batting, and all that batting then gets stuck in the grooves of my mat. I, it just makes me crazy. How do I get that out? Um, well, there's a couple things that I've done. Uh, sometimes I'll take, like, boxing tape, you know, for mailing mm-hmm. boxes, and just roll it around my hand and just run that up and down it a little bit. Um, that'll get some of it out. Um, but the thing that I know works the best are those, I know you've, you've probably seen them in uh, art supply stores, those little gum erasers that artists use. The soft ones? Yeah, those soft ones. You know, they, um, they not the hard ones, but the ones that kind of, like they rub weight almost nothing when you mm-hmm. use them. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you can rub those over the cut lines. And it just uh, pulls all those fibers out, and your mat looks brand new. Um, you can use it either like just up, a, up you know, like you have a cut line. You mm-hmm. can do it up there, or you can just put it on its side and rub it over the whole whole thing. We use that at the store a lot because, you know, we're, we're cutting batting a lot and, and stuff. And um, we always had those handy so that we could just clean up our mat a little bit. It's, I don't know, it's not good to keep cutting over that. Because mm-hmm. it wears your blade out, and then you're you're not getting accurate lines and stuff. So, yeah, um, it makes me nuts to have that in there. I've I've just yeah. rubbed batting, other pe- a bit a chunk of batting. Oh yeah, and that sort of it doesn't get it all out, but it gets the bigger ones out. So yeah, or even one... even a scrap of uh, fabric too to yeah. push, you know rub that just over the top of, of it. Too. Yeah, it's a little elbow grease, but it's it's mm-hmm. worth it. So we got one more thing and then we're going to talk then we're going to switch topics. So um okay. how, the handles, handles of your cutters, you know, stuff stuff gets Yeah, well, I I don't want to say that I'm like a germaphobic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but when <laughs> <laughs> but there are times when I am, and yeah. if I'm like at a uh, event or a quilt retreat or have people in and they're using my tools, um, I'll often take out some wipes or do a, a bleach and water solution and just uh, wipe off everything just to disinfect it. Uh, I hate being sick, so that's my one one reason. And then yeah. um, I do the same thing with my my mats and my rulers. I just kind of clean them up and just get them get them kind of fresh uh, but it's, I think it's a good habit to do that like when you change your blade um, just get out some wipes or just a damp cloth with maybe a little bit of soap on it and just wipe those handles and things down uh, just to keep them clean you know it keeps them from slipping if there's anything on them and I know I just I, know, I think it's you know, you know it's a good habit I think to get into um, you, those the mats you can really you can um, really get them clean with a little bit of those wipes that have a little bit of a scrubby fiber in it. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I know this is because <laughs> last week <laughs> I was uh, painting with gold metallic paint. And mm. instead of going over to my painting table, I did it on my mat. And oh. when I went back to cut, I noticed that there was some paint on it. So I just used one of those wipes and 
pushed on it a little bit and it came up. The mat's fine. The paint's yeah. not there anymore. But yeah, so I'm telling you all the bad. <laughs> yeah, these are all the bad, bad, bad habits that I do that I don't want other people to do. So they should like practice not what I right, practice what I preach, not what I do. That's right. <laughs> so. That's right. All the tidiness. Okay, so just to wrap, we're gonna we're gonna change gears here because I want you to tell me about your book, a little something. Cute as can be patterns for wool stitchery with strawberries on the front. It's so fun. I'll tell you, you know, it's the of all the projects, I think there's 16 projects in the book. Mm-hmm. Just like my kids, I don't have a favorite. Oh. But I am so happy that Martin Gale put strawberries on, on the cover <laughs> because those strawberry projects, they just they just kill me. They're so sweet. I just I just yeah. love how they look. Is the big um, one a pin cushion? I mean, a pin holder. The like um, the one that looks like a big, big strawberry. Uh huh. Yeah, that one actually, you can open it up and you can put your pins and needles inside. Okay. And then, if you want, there there's a little flower that dangles. You can put pins and, and needles in that too, if you want. Like if you're just sewing and need a place to put your needle for a minute, you can put it in that. Um, it's just it's it's thick it's got like four layers of wool in it so it's it's pretty thick um so it's your, your pins and things aren't going to go anywhere now the section i really like is that is the stitching the photos uh the photos of the stitches you know where you have a piece of mm-hmm. wool and then you have how you know like numbered and lettered um you know that was brilliant you did a great job well i'm uh glad about that part because so often when I see diagrams I'm not you know I can't always get get what they mean so I like that we actually used a wool shape and did the stitching in a brighter color so you could see how the stitches worked and that like I said they are lettered and stuff Um, there's not a ton of stitches in the book and that's kind of the the thing that I wanted I wanted this book to be something that anybody could pick up and make something without having to learn a lot of uh, detailed. I mean, you learn throughout the book, but I didn't want it to be complicated. I wanted a beginner to be able to do it, but I also wanted somebody who's more advanced to be able to enjoy it too by doing some of these fast stitches. So um, I loved how Martin Gale did, um, did that page for me and how well they, you know, how, how well it looks. It's, I've had a number of customers who, uh, have looked at that and just said they love that part of it. And you, know, you have, I think the, yeah, say, you have lots of other projects besides that too. I mean, there's little um, mug rugs, there's notebook covers. What are a couple others? Um, there's uh, the one that I love is it's a welcome bag that you can put on your door. It has a pineapple in it or on the front of it. And I like um, the part that was fun for me was stitching that pineapple grid. Um, you know, it's it's just big long lengths of uh, floss that are couched, but it gives it that that look of a grid. Um, I like that one. I like the fall one, uh, the fall runner, because you can make it any size that you want. So if you have a really long table, you can just cut your wool that long and put the the appliques at either end. Um, or if you have just a short place, you can just make it as you know, make it short if you want. You, so you have that kind of control over it. Um, and I'm you have, to think what other ones. You have something for us coffee drinkers or tea. Yeah, but... the, the little <laughs> coasters. The, the nice thing about the coasters is even though we have flowers on the um, outside edge, 
you could use some of the other motifs from the book in place of that. You could use the fall leaves and acorns if you wanted to, or the strawberries from the the pin keeps. Um, you could put some other applique in there kind of to match your season. So, um, you know, it's not just one thing. I, I hope people will use the book to kind of create for themselves too, to, to look at the shapes and say, oh yeah, I want to make this, but I want this other thing that I saw on another page. And so I hope people will use it as a springboard to be creative. I, I now, think, you know, I love making stuff. So I want people to make things too. <laughs> they're, they're just, and they're all fairly small, like the book says, so that you're, they're not going to take you a ton of time. Yeah. I wanted um, people to be able to gather a group of girlfriends and sit down and make them in maybe an afternoon. When I, when I created a lot of them, I was doing them, in you know, Sunday afternoon or, you know, the last part of the day. And they all went together fairly quickly. There's a few of them that are a little more complicated that may take, you know, a day or two, like the jewelry holder or, um, you know, the, the door hanger one or the runner. They may take a little bit more time. But some of the other fast projects you can make in a day. And I'll tell you, I, I love making big projects, but there's something so satisfying about seeing something that you made quickly and that you can enjoy using. Roseanne, this has been so much fun. Thank you for coming back on. Thanks for inviting me again, Pat. Now I have to go clean my mat with all of these. Okay. <laughs> these <are all> sticky <laughs> and, stuff. And your rotary cutter yes. and your scissors. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you. Congratulations on an awesome book. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye. This is American Patrick and Quilting's talk show. I'm your host, Pat Sloan. You can join us uh, Mondays for... Mostly new shows. Every so often we run an encore. So we'll see you next time. Remember to visit allpeoplequilt.com for more information on topics from today's show, as well as how-to videos, free printable patterns, and additional tips and techniques. Thanks for listening.